Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The nation's largest rail union just voted down a White House labor deal, prompting fears of a national rail strike ahead of the holidays. An FBI veteran questioning the DOJ's appointment of a special counsel to oversee former President Trump investigations, while former Deputy Attorney General says he probably would not have done it. The Cary Lake-Katie Hobbs election saga continues. The Arizona Attorney General's office has questions about what went down in Maricopa County, and it demands answers. Twitter reinstates the accounts of former President Donald Trump, journalism watchdog Project Veritas, and Kanye West. And CBS News is tweeting again after voluntarily leaving the platform. A possible rail strike could dampen Americans' travel spirits ahead of the holiday season. The nation's largest freight rail union rejected the White House's tentative labor contract. The Smart Transportation Division, or Smart TD, represents around 28,000 conductors in the U.S. The union says slightly more than half, but not even 51% of its workers, voted down the deal. The White House contract promises workers a 24% pay raise over five years, meaning an average payout of $16,000 in raises and bonuses. The railroads called it the most generous contract in modern history. That, plus caps on health care costs and more lenient attendance policies. President Biden described the contract as a victory for all sides and the nation's economy. But some workers are seeking a better deal, citing the railroad's bumper profits in recent years. A national rail strike is likely on the horizon if there is no agreement by December 8th. The shutdown could freeze nearly 30 percent of U.S. cargo shipments and cost the U.S. economy about $2 billion per day. An FBI veteran is criticizing the new special counsel appointment to oversee Trump investigations. He says the Justice Department has turned its law enforcement apparatus into a tool to attack a political enemy. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. FBI veteran Mark Ruskin recently told the Epic Times that the timing of the special counsel announcement is significant. It coincides with House Republicans saying they're going to investigate President Biden and his administration. Ruskin says the special counsel investigation could shift focus away from Biden. He says they'll be hoping to divert attention from the congressional investigations and focus instead on a baseless special counsel investigation. Last Friday, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the special counsel appointment. Former DOJ prosecutor Jack Smith will oversee investigations related to Trump's handling of classified records in parts of a probe into the events surrounding January 6th. Trump has denied wrongdoing, saying the investigations are politically motivated and an abuse of power. This horrendous abuse of power is the latest in a long series of witch hunts. It started a long time ago. I thought the investigation with the document hoax was dying or dead or over, and the investigation into January 6th in my very peaceful and patriotic speech, remember? Peaceful and patriotically was dead. The new special counsel, Smith, is a registered independent. On Friday, A.G. Garland said bringing him in is a matter of public interest because Trump is running in 2024 and Biden is interested too. But former Deputy A.G. Rod Rosenstein says a special counsel wasn't obviously necessary. He's the one who appointed special counsel Robert Mueller to investigate Russian interference in the 2016 election. 
Rosenstein told CBS News over the weekend he probably would not have appointed a special counsel in this case, saying Merrick Garland clearly made a discretionary decision. With the January 6 probes lasting nearly two years, Ruskin says he doesn't expect anything tangible coming out of the continuing investigations. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Next, we have a chance to hear more from the veteran FBI agent himself about the investigation into Trump. Joining us now is Mark Ruskin, a retired FBI special agent with over 20 years of experience working in undercover operations. He's also the author of the book, The Pretender, My Life Undercover for the FBI, and former assistant district attorney in Brooklyn, New York. It is a pleasure speaking with you today, Mark. Good to see you again, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Yes. A few days ago, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced he is appointing war crimes prosecutor Jack Smith as a special counsel for a probe into former President Trump. Now, let's let's look into why Trump is being investigated. It's over possible violations of several laws, including the Espionage Act, pertaining to classified documents. Can you unpack this for us? The focus initially appears to be on the removal of documents from the White House. Yet, when you look, one looks at other former presidents, it appears that, you know, both uh, President Obama and President Bush also removed documents from, and you know, documents which ultimately uh, ended up, to my understanding, in the National Archives or in their libraries, the, and without generating a, uh, a full, full-fledged investigation. So the issue would, here would be, is the search of the uh, at Mar-a-Lago, is it was it really prompted by a search for documents, or was it a, a perhaps a fishing expedition, looking for other uh, types of information pertaining to the January six investigation? You know, so yes. and, and and now, you know, and now leading into the uh, into the the special counsel appointment. There seems to be a potential tie-in between the two. So you have a background in prosecutions. What would the DOJ need to do in order to show that there was an obstruction to this investigation regarding classified records? Well, to show an obstruction, you know, you, essentially, the the uh, the initial step would be to to articulate facts which would support a conclusion uh, that there's probable cause to believe. That obstruction took place, so it, it's not a, a high threshold, but it's still a threshold uh, that would have to be met, and you know that might account for why, for what prompted this very broad search warrant to be drafted and uh, subsequently executed. Yes, I see what you mean. You're mentioning the threshold that they need to present evidence. Now, Trump said the gravest threat to the nation is from, not from abroad, but from within. He says the justice system is being weaponized and corruption in D.C. needs to be cleared out. What is your reaction to this? Well, whenever there's too much of an accumulation of power, there's a temptation to abuse that power. Certain aspects of the Bill of Rights have a tendency to be relegated to the past and the Constitution itself has been denigrated. I would suggest that there is a need for, for house cleaning, and in order for there to be house cleaning, there needs to be an independent and an objective Justice Department and an independent and objective FBI to conduct investigations into public corruption, which are unbiased and which will apply to anyone, regardless of 
political party if they've committed acts of, of corruption. Thank you so much for your analysis. Mark Ruskin, retired FBI special agent, pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure, Kevin. Great to see you. Now to Arizona, where the state attorney general sent a letter to Maricopa County. It demands answers on problems that took place on Election Day. The letter cites hundreds of complaints received since November 8th. It says the complaints, quote, go beyond pure speculation and include firsthand witness accounts that raise concerns regarding Maricopa County's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. Our election officials failed us miserably. Maricopa County election officials say at least 60 of 223 voting locations experienced technical problems related to ballot printers having non-uniform printer configuration settings. Tabulators could not read some ballots due to those settings. County officials estimate the technical problems may have impacted more than 17,000 ballots on election day. Carrie Lake collected accounts from voters that she posted on Twitter. It took Sharissa nearly four hours to vote after arriving at 5.45 a.m. before work. She was told to put her ballot into box three but refused. Box three is the compartment used when the machines can't scan the votes. It does not matter how you voted. It's an absolute disgrace what happened and Maricopa County needs to be held accountable. The letter from the Elections Integrity Unit requested multiple items including a comprehensive log of all changes to the printer configuration settings. That's to include the identity of individuals making changes. Kevin Vembry describes his experience at the Deer Valley School District office. They were saying that the uh, tabulating machines were down. But the poll worker proceeded to give me addresses which were way out, which seemed like they were way out of the way. Almost sounded like she was trying to dissuade me from voting. Tiffany described what her son says happened after he registered to vote at Arizona State University. Before election day, he actually got a text from a group at ASU that offered him $250 if he would rally his friends together to vote Democrat. She says there were problems at the polling place on election day. They were going down the line telling people to leave and that their vote was not going to be counted. Even though he was there at about 6.20 p.m., they were saying he wouldn't make it in by 7. Carrie Lake shared this unverified video on Twitter, which appears to show the scene at one of the voting centers where an apparent worker estimates that the tabulator is only working on about one in every 30 ballots. Not that they're going through, they're just not going through the tabulator. Right, so 29 out of every 30 ballots are being dropped into a box. The same box that they're dropping into with the tabulator, right. and it's being counted just like these mail-in ballots are being counted. Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Chairman Bill Gates says the problems did not impact Republican-leaning areas more than Democrat ones. We found that the 70 vote centers that were impacted by the printer issues were spread all across Maricopa County. It took Larry Santangelo about 90 minutes to get into his polling location in Anthem. And as we were on the line, there was this woman who was coming down the line who already voted, and she was explaining to us that they're playing games inside, claiming the printers don't work, tabulators aren't working, and they want you to put your vote in box three. Santangelo says the woman was being followed by a Board of Elections official yelling, don't believe this woman. He says his ballot was repeatedly rejected by the tabulator. He was asked to put it in box three where it could be counted downtown, but he refused because he felt it meant they would throw his vote in the trash. They blamed the printer. They did blame the printer, but it was probably planned. Just to frustrate you to leave. That's what I feel. 
This man lives at a 55 and older community in Maricopa County. He arrived 15 minutes before opening time at the voting center. Once inside and my ballot was filled out, I turned around and the line was at least 20 people at the tabulators because of the functioning, ill-functioning tabulators that should have been properly tested and ready. I believe it was a form of voter suppression. Katie Hobbs, the current Secretary of State, is the top election official in the state. As overseer of elections, she has several duties, including watching the counts and certifying the election results. Carrie Lake had called out the conflict of interest many times before the election. Hobbs addressed the matter on CNN on November 4th. I'm not going to recuse myself from the job that the voters elected me to do. Bill Gates responded to calls to redo the election. He says that Arizona law requires that all 15 county boards of supervisors across the state must conduct a canvas and decide whether to approve the canvas. A canvas is an official tally of the votes. We will invite people from around the community to speak, and finally, we will decide whether to approve the official canvas. Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright says the issues are related to Maricopa County's ability to lawfully certify election results and requested a response from the county by November 28th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The New Hampshire Democratic Party has filed a lawsuit to stop a recount for a state house seat. They argue that the election results should stand, even if they are wrong. The race in question is between Republican Larry Gagne and Democrat Maxine Mosley. Initial election results showed Gagne winning by 23 votes. Then Mosley called for a recount, which handed her a one-vote lead. However, an audit showed an extra 25 votes that were not counted in the original tally. Democrats are seeking a permanent injunction against any further audits. They say state law prohibits further audits of election results once the Secretary of State declares a winner. Republicans call the lawsuit a desperate move by Democrats to overcome a one-seat advantage by Republicans. There's also another House race being recounted where the candidates received an equal amount of votes. The issue sparked a social media debate over the weekend. Both Democrats and Republicans accused each other of interfering with election integrity while bringing up old debates about election fraud from the 2020 presidential election. Kanye West appears to have confirmed that he will be running for president in 2024. West gave up a previous attempt to run for the nation's highest office in 2020. In a since-deleted video posted to Twitter, West can be seen alongside conservative figure and former Breitbart editor Milo Yiannopoulos. West says, this is Milo right here, working on the campaign. West was asked if that was an announcement, to which he responded by laughing and saying, quote, I guess it is. Later in the video, the fashion designer can be seen holding up a pair of tracksuit bottoms branded with the words, yay, 2024. Former President Trump, Project Veritas, and Kanye West are all back on Twitter after being banned. And CBS News is tweeting again. Here are the details. The Twitter account of investigative journalism watchdog Project Veritas has been reinstated. Their founder, James O'Keefe, posted this video in response, thanking Twitter's new owner. Elon Musk getting us back on Twitter, the corrupt Twitter bird upside down, no longer. Twitter suspended Project Veritas's account in February last year after O'Keefe shared a video of Facebook's vice president talking about the company's policies surrounding the limiting of speech. Back then, Project Veritas shared this screenshot showing a message O'Keefe's and the group's account received, saying, we've temporarily limited some of your account features. On Saturday, Elon Musk reinstated former President Donald Trump's account nearly two years after he was banned from the site. 
The billionaire posted this poll asking people if he should reinstate former President Trump. The poll was open for 24 hours, after which just under 52% opted in Trump's favor. Trump has not posted anything yet and has previously said he has no plans to return to Twitter, preferring his own social media platform, Truth Social. And CBS News is back on Twitter after saying it halted activity on the platform due to security concerns because of the uncertainty about Twitter after Elon Musk's takeover. The TV station posted on Sunday morning after pausing for much of the weekend to assess the security concerns. CBS News and Stations is resuming its activity on Twitter as we continue to monitor the situation. About two days before that, CBS said that in light of the uncertainty around Twitter and out of an abundance of caution, CBS News is pausing its activity on the social media site as it continues to monitor the platform. Musk responded to the TV station's announcement with this emoji of a face with a hand over its mouth. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito has denied being involved in an alleged leak of a religious freedom decision eight years ago. It's in response to a New York Times article on the leak. Alito wrote the majority opinion in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby in 2014. It declared that a closely held business doesn't have to offer birth control coverage to employees if the company is opposed to contraception on religious grounds. The New York Times article states that an ex-pro-life leader says he learned of the outcome of the Hobby Lobby case three weeks before it was officially handed down. He claims Alito revealed the decision over dinner with a donor to the pro-life nonprofit. Alito issued a statement denying there was a Hobby Lobby leak. The Supreme Court continues to investigate the unprecedented leak earlier this year of overturning Roe v. Wade. Alito described that leak as a grave betrayal. A federal judge ordered the unsealing of documents featuring the real names of some of the John Doe's relating to accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. Media outlets reported that the judge ruled to disclose the names of several anonymous individuals and documents filed by an Epstein victim. Epstein died in jail awaiting his trial, and his associate, Ghislaine Maxwell, was convicted of sex trafficking and sentenced to 20 years behind bars. The documents come from a defamation case filed against Maxwell. While a timeline for the release of the documents and names has not been set, the judge identified some of the Epstein-linked individuals during a hearing. The judge will keep some names hidden due to the damage it might cause. In some cases, the individuals are victims of sex trafficking. In others, they are helpers to the accused sex traffickers. But the judge also sees some of the individuals in the documents as having only a marginal connection to the case. Turning to a six-figure award over COVID vaccine mandates, it's going to utility workers who say the policies discriminated against them due to their religious beliefs. The settlement resulted in Goleta Water District paying $125,000 to five plaintiffs plus attorney's fees. Because they requested and were granted religious exemptions, the five plaintiffs had to choose between unpaid leaves of absence or paying for bi-weekly COVID-19 tests on their own time. The unvaccinated workers were also restricted from entering certain buildings and were required to wear N95 face masks, while vaccinated employees were not held to the same standard. The plaintiff's lawyer said, quote, government officials are being held accountable for their discriminatory policies, and I am hopeful that we're going to continue to see these types of decisions because what they did was wrong and they hurt a lot of people's lives. Two of the employees remain water district workers. Three have moved on. 
And coming up, an apology from billionaire businessman Michael Bloomberg. It's over a speech critical of the Chinese regime, but not a speech made by him. And Israel's incoming Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu wins a defamation lawsuit. It had to do with allegations against him and his family. Find Welcome back. Billionaire Michael Bloomberg is apologizing after former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson criticized the Chinese regime at a forum he hosted. Here are the details. Billionaire Michael Bloomberg invited former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson to speak at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum in Singapore last week. It was a business event hosted by Bloomberg's own organization and Singapore's government. Also among the speakers was Vice President of the Chinese regime Wang Qishan and Chinese businessman. And Johnson made the following remarks. Let's look at Russia and China. The two former communist tyrannies in which power has once again been concentrated in the hands of a single ruler. Two countries that in the last year have demonstrated the immense limitations of their political systems by the disastrous mistakes they have made. Some attendees of the events later made complaints of Johnson's remarks. One guest told The Guardian, quote, The speech was pretty shocking. People clearly felt uncomfortable. He used very undiplomatic language about China at a conference in Asia. This prompted Bloomberg to apologize. In his words, some may have been insulted or offended last night by parts of the speaker's remarks referencing certain countries and their duly elected leaders. Those were his thoughts and his thoughts alone, not cleared in advance by anyone or shared with me personally. To those of you who were upset and concerned by what the speaker said, you have my apologies. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said today that the U.S. and Indonesia will expand defense cooperation. This was after meeting with his Indonesian counterpart in Jakarta. And it's especially vital now that like-minded countries come together to uphold our shared principles, including the rule of law, freedom of the seas, and respect for sovereignty and territorial integrity. Austin said the Biden administration wants to help Indonesia play a central role in keeping a free and open Indo-Pacific vision of security and trade with the international system. His visit to Jakarta reflects one of the key tenets of the national security strategy that he unveiled on Saturday in Halifax. It includes strengthening alliances and building partnerships with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And in Israel, a legal victory for incoming Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He just won a defamation lawsuit against a former Prime Minister. The former Prime Minister, Ehud Olmert, alleged that Netanyahu, his wife, and his son were mentally ill. Olmert made the remarks in a TV interview last year, shortly before Netanyahu was ousted from power. The court ruled that Olmert's remarks had exposed the Netanyahu family to hate, ridicule or degradation, and that Olmert had not substantiated the remarks with a proper medical assessment. Olmert now has to pay the Netanyahu's roughly $18,000 in compensation. Netanyahu's lawyer hailed the ruling as the shattering of another libel. Olmert's lawyer said he might appeal against the decision. And still to come, soccer's governing body, FIFA, makes a decision on armbands in the World Cup, and seven European teams are unhappy about it. We'll have all that and more for you in just a minute.
And turning our attention to the World Cup taking place right now, the captains of seven European teams have agreed they will not wear a pro-LGBT armband. The Dutch Football Association initially started the campaign to wear the armband, known as the One Love armband, in 2020. Soccer's governing body, FIFA, recently ruled that team captains wearing the armband to World Cup matches would get a yellow card. FIFA said team equipment must not have any political, religious, or personal slogans, statements, or images. The seven soccer teams involved are England, Wales, Belgium, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Germany, and Denmark. Although the teams agreed to comply, the Dutch Football Association says they are disappointed with the rules and will critically look at their relation with FIFA. In London, zookeepers and conservationists are welcoming an adorable newborn giraffe to the world. The six-foot-tall baby giraffe was born on Remembrance Day. He's been aptly named after renowned World War I poet Wilfred Owen. One keeper says his birth has extra significance because he's a vital addition to the conservation breeding program for reticulated giraffes, an endangered species. Giraffes give birth standing up, meaning youngsters are welcome to the world with a six-foot fall to the ground. But zookeepers keep a close eye on mom and prepared a deep layer of bedding when they knew Wilfred was on the way. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.